Thanks so much, folks. Uh, it's good to see you again this evening. We're turning for our reading uh, back for the, the last time, at least uh, with me, to John chapter 10. This is the third time we've been in this chapter, and we're going to uh, read again the latter part of the chapter from uh, verse 22, John 10, uh, verse 22. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father, for which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, You are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. Let's bow for a moment in prayer, ask God's blessing upon us as we come around his word again this evening. Gracious Father, we are so conscious that there are depths of truth and mystery in your word that are beyond us. Certainly, Lord, beyond any human comprehension. And even, Lord, though we depend upon and we have the tremendous privilege of that uh, great teacher, the Holy Spirit, we recognize that our minds are too small to fully comprehend some of the wonders and the mysteries and the glories of your truth. So, Lord, we are cast upon you again this evening as we turn to your word, cast upon you for your help, for your guidance, for your enlightenment, that the Holy Spirit may take your word this evening and apply it to the hearts of men and women and boys and girls here. Help us, Lord. Help us to know your presence. Help us to hear your voice. Speak to us through your word. For Jesus' sake. Amen.
Here is the KBC news. Hundreds of Muslims have been massacred in New Zealand and hundreds of Christians in Africa in recent weeks. The Christians did not make front page news. Thousands have been displaced, injured and killed in East Africa after a cyclone there. A chemical plant in China, uh, a chemical plant explosion in East China has killed dozens, injured hundreds, hundreds and demolished buildings in the immediate area. We are in a climate change state of emergency because of global warming. West Africa's fish are strangely disappearing. Zombie viruses encased in ice could reemerge. UK politics are in a shambles with disagreement and disarray rampant. Three young people tragically lost their lives in a crush to enter a disco. They need to go on. To state that we live in a world of uncertainty is to be guilty of gross understatement. Wherever one looks in our world today, there is friction, trouble, war, tragedy, and sometimes it seems chaos almost at a catastrophic level. And yet we haven't even mentioned the moral bankruptcy of most of the Western world, where society is crumbling because of the confusion and even the inversion of standards of right and wrong. This is not a safe or a sure world to live in. Everything's shifting. The very foundations of society are being shaken as the family unit becomes a target for the devil and for the devil's destructive purposes. It's no wonder that people feel anxious, lost, displaced. And we ask the question tonight, where can we look for true security and safety? Where can we put down an anchor for life with the assurance that it won't shift though all around it moves? And the answer we have in God's word here this evening. I want to bring before you a sure place in a shaky world. A sure place in a shaky world. Listen. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. A sure place in a shaky world. I want you to notice that there's a particular people referred to here. A distinguishable people, if you like. A distinctive flock. Referred to by our Lord Jesus here as my sheep. And they are distinguished, if you like. They are distinctive because they are separated from others around them because they belong to Jesus. 
And we ask the question, how are they distinguished? Well, we have touched on some of this before. They are distinguished by three things principally. Number one, Jesus knows them. Jesus knows them. We have thought about this before as we've looked at this chapter, that he knows his sheep. And what he's speaking of here is a relationship forged between the shepherd and the sheep, between Jesus and those who are his. his. And the, the, the knowledge that's referred to here is not, it, it's not awareness of information. It's much more than an awareness of information. The knowledge referred to here is the, the intimate care which essentially is love. You could almost, without doing damage to the text here, you could almost substitute the word love for the word know. I love my sheep. I know my sheep. This is an intimate care of the shepherd for his sheep. It's the knowledge of intimacy, the knowledge of relationship, the knowledge of a profound friendship. So these people are distinguished from those around them because Jesus knows them. He, they are loved by him. They are his special sheep. Then secondly, they hear his voice. So you see, consequently, because they have this relationship, because they have been brought into this relationship with the shepherd, then they hear or they recognize his voice. And again, this is much more than simply hearing a voice like background noise. I, I, when I taught in school in Belfast many, many years ago, I had a class of boys who weren't too interested in books. Um, they were more interested in football, uh, more interested in darts and pool and all the rest of it. And on a Monday morning, it was very difficult really to get them out of the Oval or out of Windsor Park in their minds and get them into the classroom. So we used to have a half an hour joke session on a Monday morning. That was how we started our, day, our week. Uh, and, and the two rules were they weren't allowed to tell any dirty jokes and they weren't use, allowed to use any bad language. And you know, it was a rich time. I wish I had written down or recorded some of the things because it was shipyard humor, Belfast shipyard humor, and it was quite amazing. But the purpose of that was, in a sense, to try to get them to hear my voice. Not as some disturbing background noise. Not simply to be aware of the sound, but to listen. And there's a great difference between hearing and listening. One of my family, one of my sons, and he shall remain nameless, when he got his head in a book, if the ceiling had fallen in, he wouldn't have been aware of it. And often when you spoke to him, he would hear the voice, but he wasn't listening. What Jesus is speaking about here are sheep who hear. They recognize his voice and they respond to it. They listen to him. And, and implied in the, the word is the whole idea of actually making a response. And the response then is the third thing. Because then we are told they follow him. 
This is the outworking. This is the consequence of recognizing and heeding the distinctive voice of the shepherd. And we talked about this the last time we were in this, how the sheep would recognize the voice of the shepherd and they would follow him. The interesting thing here is that when Jesus speaks here, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they keep on following me. It's in the present tense, and tenses in Greek are extremely important and significant. And what it means is that this is not a momentary or a temporary following, which was the case with many people who followed Jesus about in those days. But this is a following, a life following. It is a new direction in life. It is a new way of living. They keep on following me. So how are the sheep distinguished? How are uh, these people distinctive? Well, Jesus knows them, they hear his voice, and they follow him. So we have this distinguishable or this distinctive people. The second thing I want you to notice is this, that to that distinctive congregation or flock, is given an absolute guarantee. An absolute guarantee. And it's summarized here in three statements of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So, what does a guarantee consist of? Three elements. Number one, they will never perish. I give to them eternal life, and they will never perish. This is the unbreakable promise of the shepherd who has called his sheep to himself. His calling and his gifts are without repentance. They will never be repealed, for he has set his love upon them eternally. And this is his, if you like, the first element of the guarantee. They will never perish. Let's dig a little deeper and see what Jesus says. Well, he says, uh, he says, uh, no one will snatch them out of my hand. So these people, these sheep, these following believers are held in Christ's hand. That's a vivid and a very lovely picture. You know how sometimes when we are given some precious thing into our hands and instinctively we wrap our hands around it. It's like giving a little toddler a, a chocolate button. No, <laughs> and it goes into the hand and the hand goes around it. Of course, it melts then, but, but it's instinctive, isn't it? Somebody gives you something precious to hold and instinctively you, you, you grip it. You close your hand tightly to prevent it, being, it falling or someone taking it from you. And, and it's an interesting symbol. It's a symbol at one and the same time of tenderness and toughness, of tenderness and toughness. 
Because the, the hand wraps around it to keep it safe. But in wrapping around it to keep it safe, it also is preventing others from taking it from you. You try to get a, a sweetie or something else out of the hand of a little nipper, a little totter who doesn't want to give it away. It's hard, hard work to do it. Tenderness as the, the shepherd keeps us and protects us. Toughness as he repels any attempt to snatch us away from him. So they will never perish. They are held in Christ's hand. But then we, we have another dimension because Christ says, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So not only are they held in Christ's hand, they are held in the Father's hand. If you're like, here's an amazing double lock put on the guarantee. Now, now we need to understand this passage properly. There's no dichotomy here being drawn between Father and Son. It's not a question of, of differentiating between the, the, the Son's grip and the Father's grip. What Jesus is saying here, that he and his Father with the Holy Spirit are working in perfect harmony in working out the salvation, the plan of salvation for God's flock. That plan that was set in place before the foundation of the world. And I was just thinking about this during the week, you know. Here is the divine hand upon the divine hand upon the child of God. Amazing statement. A sure place in a shaky world. There's a distinctive people here, distinguishable people being spoken of. To that distinguishing people, that group, who are Christ, an absolute guarantee is given. A guarantee that they will never perish, that they're held in Christ's hand, and that they're held in the Father's hand. And then there comes what seems to me actually to be the climactic statement, the climax uh, of, of, of this whole thing. And what I've called a, a supreme and a glorious claim. And, and it's found here in verse 30. I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. Why does our Lord make this statement in the context here? And what does it mean? Well, let's think about what it means, um, first of all. And it certainly means, I, I suppose, at the, at the, at the very, uh, what you say, recognizable level, it means a unity of purpose. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the triune God, are involved in this work of salvation. And there is a unity of purpose here. The eternal plan of salvation is according to the will of the triune God. God gave his Son to the world. The Holy Spirit blessed and empowered his life. And that's made so very evident, isn't it, uh, at times in Christ's life, particularly at Christ's baptism. At, at the very inauguration of his public ministry, as it were. 
when God owned his son, owned his son's ministry by the sending of the Holy Spirit. Christ's baptism, at Christ's baptism, his earthly ministry was unveiled to the world. So God gave the, the son. The son came willingly in obedience to his father and to fulfill his father's will. So there was a unity of purpose. And I and my father are one certainly indicates that. But there's also a unity of action. A unity of action. Father and Son and Holy Spirit are active constantly in working out and applying the divine purposes. There is a unity of action. There's perfect harmony in the outworking of the plan of redemption. Now, there there are many mysteries in that. There are many things that we, we don't and we can't understand. Recently, I was reflecting again upon this you know, a strange uh, uh, conundrum where when Jesus began his public ministry, Satan took him into the wilderness. He was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, and Satan in the wilderness sought to find a way to get Jesus to give up the idea of the cross. You know, those temptations were, each one of them was designed to say to Jesus, well, you don't have to go to the cross. You can get a following by doing magic tricks or by, by, by uh, 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 doing special uh, miracles or whatever. You can, you can get a crowd to come after. You can get a following like this. <clears throat> There's that strange dichotomy between that and then the fact that it was the devil working in the hearts of men and women that put Jesus Christ on the cross. Well, there are many mysteries in the gospel. But one thing we are sure of that the plan of salvation is the, is the consequence, the result of the unity of action of Father and Son with Holy Spirit. You know, the most profoundly mysterious moment, I think, when Jesus was on the cross was when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In some sense, the unity of action of Father and Son resulted in the Son's rejection by the Father as a sin bearer. Well, I don't understand that. I mean, quite frankly, if you ask me to explain that tonight, I can't. It's part of the mystery of the gospel. What we know is, however, and we know and we th- be thinking about it in, in weeks to come as David brings us to the cross and the tomb and so forth, we see that God put a stamp of approval on what Jesus had done by raising him from the dead. A unity of purpose, yes. I and the Father are one. A unity of action, yes. I and the Father are one. But there's something more. Something at a deeper level. And I have called it a unity of essence. And as true as the, the former two are, and they're gloriously true, there is something more here which is really hidden away in the, the grammar of the original. In, in, in the Greek here, the gender of the word one is neutral. 
Now, speaking of father and son, you would expect, if you like, the gender to be masculine. But the little word uh, M, it's in neutral. And it's speaking not simply of uh, the father and son and their unity of purpose and their unity of action, but speaking of essential unity. One commentator said this, some more essential unity is presupposed. This verse constitutes a shattering statement. The climax to this part of the chapter, every bit as much as the climax to chapter 8, which was before Abraham was, I am. No greater claim to deity could be made than the claim that is made here. And often uh, there, there's great discussion and debate amongst so-called theological scholars as to the fact that Jesus ever claimed to be God. Well, what a nonsensical question. Over and over again, he made it clear that he was essentially God. And no more clearly than in this little statement that I and the Father are one. And, and he backs it up later on, just towards the end of the chapters. He, he, he continues um, to, to debate with the Pharisees. He said, uh, you're blaspheming. You tell me I'm blaspheming because I said I'm the Son of God. Um, if I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand, listen, that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And that statement, if you like, that, that supporting statement uh, brings us back to this little, this amazing claim. I and the Father are one. Now, no wonder that the Jews attempted to take him and destroy him. No wonder that they wanted to get rid of him. They knew what he was claiming. They picked up stones again to stone him. Verse 31, Jesus said, what are you stoning me for? What, what uh, good work are you stoning me for? And they said, we're not stoning you for good work, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, are making yourself God. Now, if we come to close this evening, we need to ask the, I suppose, the final question. Why does our Lord make this claim here? Why does our Lord make this claim here? We've been thinking about a sure place in a shaky world. And the fact, if you like, that this particular people who are distinguished here and identified here are given an absolute guarantee that they will never perish, that they're held in Christ's hand, that they're held in the Father's hand. And then it's backed up with this supreme, glorious claim, I and the Father are one. What is God saying to us? What, what, what is being said to us here? Well, I think the, we have this ultimate guarantee of the guarantee of our salvation. It's the guarantee of the guarantee. <laughs> the guarantee is, well... I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will pluck them out of my hand. No one will, will pluck them out of my Father's hand. What's the guarantee that that guarantee can be trusted? I and my Father are one. 
This is the supreme God speaking. And in the midst of a troubled, strife-torn, sin-laden world, we can trust him. And when you take that, this truth and begin to think about it on a personal level, we've been singing about it this evening, about the storms, the personal storms that you face in life, the personal issues that confront you, that perhaps confront no one else in our family here in, in the economy. The things that are keeping you awake at night at times. The things that when you turn to God in prayer, the things that trouble your spirit. And the things that you pour out in prayer to Him. You can be sure of this. That you can trust your shepherd. You can trust your shepherd. Not just for the, the big things in the world. You know, I was reading just this afternoon um, Melvin Tinker, a little book that he has written about called Alien Nation, and he was referring back to the, the 17th century, the 1600s, and the, the chaos, the moral chaos, the social chaos that there was in those days, the late 17th and into the 18th century. And then he said, God sent George Whitfield and John and Charles Wesley and the Welsh evangelists and tens of thousands of people were swept into the kingdom of God through the preaching of these godly men. In the midst of this troubled world, we can safely anchor our rock to the fact that God is in control. In control universally and in control in terms of our lives and our destinies. A sure place in a shaky world. Can we trust him? Certainly we can. It is no less than the eternal God himself who calls us, who saves us, who sustains us, and who guarantees us safe arrival in the home where there will be no darkness, no pain, no sin, and no separation, but rather a fullness of life and a fullness of joy as we live in the presence of Jesus, our Savior, eternally. Martin Luther, the reformer, was in some ways an enigma. A man of his day, yes, he didn't get everything right. Who of us do? But you know, in the midst of the storms that faced him personally, and indeed the storms that, 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 that brewed uh, in, in those Reformation times, here's what Martin Luther wrote. I wish we could perhaps learn this. It's an old hymn that we don't sing anymore today, but this is what he wrote. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. But though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear 
For God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. And that's the word of the eternal God who provides for us a sure place in a shaky world. We're going to sing as our